here in front of Zhang who scores. Another set-piece goal for UBC this season. Wonderful ball in from Emma Peckinpah, flicked on by Danielle Steer right to the foot of Michelle Zhang. And the 47th minute UBC retake their lead. It's 2-1. to one. Hey everybody, it's Jacob, Eric, Jake, and Liz of CITR Sports broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep me up to date with the latest UBC sports news, standings, and stories. And this week, we are finally doing something a little special, which was promised. And I'm excited. Our own Spencer Latu got to sit down with UBC football receiver Keenan Godden to talk about the hard-hitting subject of concussions. After the interview, we will walk through the latest in UBC hockey, field hockey, soccer, basketball, and golf. Yeah, so before we jump into the interview, um, a little bit of background on maybe the concussion thing that's been happening in not just the NFL, but a lot of professional sports. Um, it's been a controversial subject for a while, and that sort of increased in 2014 when there was a Boston University study on uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE. Uh, of the 79 brains of former NFL players that were studied, 76 tested positive for CTE, and as of January 2017, that is now 90 out of 94. Since then, the NCAA and U Sports have ended two-a-day practices where players would have two practices with possible full contact. And this was problematic as research on CTE and concussions shows the way to prevent these injuries is to limit hits to the head. At football programs at all levels, especially in U Sports, there's a sort of want to be, you know, more successful and to grow more. Um, but they have to adapt to these sort of uh, new studies that were com- that are coming out about what the sort of real danger being pre- presented here to a lot of these football players. A lot players. of contact sports. Exactly. It's a big problem in hockey, too. Um, a lot of you know, tragic incidents, both in, both in hockey and in the NFL, of professional athletes who um, are dealing with this. And it's, it's very necessary to sort of talk about it. It's been a lot of swept under the rug, though. So we'll, uh, we'll start this interview, and then we'll be back uh, right after with uh, the rest of our show. Who are you? Uh, my name is Keenan Godin. wide receiver how long have you played football um probably since i was in about in grade six um went to school out there and played in uh the minor teams out there and then moved into high school have you ever suffered a concussion in football if so how many have you had uh yes i have i've uh had three concussions um, while playing football which is pretty lucky for some of the some of the guys can you describe how your last concussion occurred uh, my last concussion occurred while I was at actually at work, um, and I ended up ma- uh, smashing my head against um, some metal staging at work. What were your concussion symptoms like, and are there any ongoing issues stemming from your concussion? Uh, my concussion symptoms were were pretty bad. I had uh, difficulty concentrating, uh, just general dysphoria. Uh, couldn't uh, like really read stuff on a computer screen. Sensitivity to light dizziness, the, the kind of like the whole shebang there. Um, and some ongoing issues, uh, sometimes um, just kind of concentration uh, still suffers a bit there. Um, just just general concentration issues. But How was your concussion received by the team training and medical staff? Um, pretty good because um, I was working a, a late night shift when I, when I hit my head and I uh, texted um, my trainer and she responded like immediately and just gave me immediate instructions on how to handle myself 
and when to and to come in immediately the next day and and then go to the hospital um and then uh yeah how about the coaches uh coaches um when i informed them about it they were pretty understanding they said you know uh follow your return to play with with uh, the the uh, trainers there and then see how you you do from there in your opinion and from your experience is there a stigma at the youth sports level of football surrounding concussions um i think so i think there is uh, i think there's um not enough preventative measures i mean like just now they introduced the the targeting rule to to protect players on the field and I think that they're kind of not taking it as seriously as some of the players would, would like, um, especially during play. Uh, but uh, all in all, I think that um, the stigma just stems from preventative measures and how we as um, people in the youth sports community can't handle that ability to kind of monitor on the field and off the field play. And uh, where do you think the stigma comes from? Um, it's tough to say. I'd say the, in my opinion, the stigma comes from kind of, uh, it's a, it's, it kind of couples between the fan reactions, players, um, not taking concussion seriously still. I think that's a, a big thing is kind of like, oh, I got a concussion. Kind of just don't say anything. Kind of just walk it off. I think that's still huge, huge, especially at uh, this level of sport. What is missing from the discourse? Uh, around concussions and head injuries in football and if so how would you like to see it change i think uh what's what's really missing from the um discourse is uh player input um kind of like how do we feel as players um surrounding the legislations and the rules and and stuff like that that are introduced into our league i think that we as uh, as student athletes often are kind of left out until the last minute or or until changes have already been made how do you think reforms at the youth and high school level in football would affect concussions? Uh, such reforms are abolishing um, youth tackle football, replacing it with flag football, and at high school, severely limiting, if not abolishing, two-a-days, as well as limiting padded practice. How do you think those reforms would affect youth sports football? I think it would it would benefit a lot because when in in terms of skill progression at, at the young level it's 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 tough there's too many aspects of football to introduce at like say the grade five level to to really um, monitor how people are tackling and if it's safe or not I think that at that level it's especially crucial to to monitor that and and at the middle school and high school level it's uh I think I think that uh, not padded practices or or just emphasizing on like rugby tackling or 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 safer methods of of tackling i think that huge emphasis needs to be put on that for sure as far as uh the discussion around cte is uh concerned defenders of football in its current form often point to the prevalence of concussions in other sports that are less uh, uh impactful such as basketball women's soccer cheerleading gymnastics and the like uh, do you think it, it is um, uh, endemic solely to football and its tackling techniques, or what other factors would you uh, correlate CTE to? I think, I think yeah, I think it is within within kind of like the football culture. Um, it's almost kind of like how we it's dealt with by, or how it used to be dealt with by trainers, how it's dealt with by players currently, and how um, that kind of like amp yourself up, hit stuff as hard as you can with your face, running full speed, 
at someone is just is purely I think in the football culture. I mean, like I played rugby in high school and it it was nothing like that. It was more so just rap. Like if you make a big hit, it's a big hit, but you're not putting your face into someone else's face for sure. So bringing up the rugby tackling uh, topic one more time, it's been said that the CTE issue and concussion issue boils down to how people tackle or if you do a right tackle or a bad tackle as it's impossible to enforce in the field of play how one tackles. Do you feel that it is more about how the way football is structured uh, rather than necessarily one aspect of the game because, you know, as the uh, famous coach uh, Lombardi said, you know, 50% of football is tackling, the other 50% is blocking. So when it comes to concussions, do you think it's possible to just boil it down to tackling technique or do you think there's more going on? Uh, there's there's for sure more going on, right, because people get concussions, um, you know, either like, like especially on the, on the offensive line, um, you know, like running full speed and blocking someone, you know, you're – you're not just using your hands or just your shoulders, right? You're, you, sometimes there's head contact that is involved in that, and that's especially evident for other aspects of the game. But um, I think that tackling form has, has a lot to do with it. I think that if we're able to, at, a, at an early age, ingrain a new method of tackling into a younger generation, that we'll see some, some changes uh, in the future generation in terms of uh, like CTE and, and even just concussion prevalence within minor sports and youth sports. So looking forward to the future of football, what do you think the future holds for the three different levels of football, separate them into youth football, high school football, and collegiate level football, including youth sports and the NCAA? How do you, what do you think the future of starting at youth and finishing at collegiate ball, uh, what, do you, what do you see in that future, in the, in the crystal ball that you have? Yeah, um, what I see is uh, youth football, um, you know, flight, I think that flight should honestly just be flight football or or uh, or, t- or touch at that point because um, the same amount of referees are used in touch and everything like that so it's it's not it's not that aspect in it and you kind of gain that those other tactical progressions and other skill progressions that that young ones need without the um, constant banging of the heads um, and I think at um, at the kind of the, the next level of high school football it's it needs to be um, more focused about safe tackling um, I think the usage of pads is fine, but uh, just kind of for coaches and, and staff just to be aware of like the physical and mental state of um, of your players. If you notice that you're having like three or four concussions by the time you're halfway through the season, then you should probably change your practice structure just a bit. But <laughs> I think um, and then I think at the collegiate level, it, it extends to that as well. Um, it just extends to, I guess, uh, certain positions that you need to not lead with your head coming in, flying in on a, on a, on a pass or, or that type of stuff. But um, I think the earlier it's kind of nipped, uh, the, the better it is in the long run. So it's uh, important for people to know that uh, U-sports athletes are student athletes and student comes before athletes and such a high importance of academics in U-sports. How do concussions and uh, academics uh, intersect? Uh, they kind of don't. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you don't, you don't want them to, to intersect, right? It's, it's, it's sad when I hear that one of my buddies has a, has a concussion because it not only affects his, his livelihood in terms of football, but it definitely affects his livelihood for school, right? There's, he has to sometimes defer exams uh, depending on how bad it is. Um, I have uh, another varsity friend who goes to SFU, and she wrestles, and the amount of concussions that she had, 
it became at one point she had to take an entire semester off and then defer all of her exams to the next semester and then that is ju it's just hard, hard on you right it's it's hard emotionally physiologically and um and in many other aspects of your life right it just kind of takes apart everything how do we improve players rights and uh, players safety uh, in youth sports, what are your thoughts on reforms such as including total coverage for concussion recovery, including treating the uh, chronic symptoms that come from some concussions suffered in youth sports play? I think that in terms of, of kind of getting getting players' voice out, I think it's a big, big concern. I think that even like a player's like council or a player's uh, kind of association to kind of represent our interests would be, would be nice, especially since seeing as we're we're all adults uh, at the youth sports level, um, and uh, and additionally, I just think that um, I guess kind of team members and like faculty being aware of of the other aspects of the concussion, right? The chronic side effects that you see, where where it's like trouble focusing or or just head reoccurring headaches and and stuff like that. I think that the more compassionate we are to these. Um, symptoms the the better the outcome will be for the athlete in the long run would you let your child play football um it's a tough question uh the state of football right now um i mean i'm kind of in the coaching scene a bit myself here so um what from what i've seen in, in high school football and or even in middle school football uh i'd have to say i don't i, I it's de position dependent i think I think that if my, my kid's playing, like, quarterback or, like, wide receiver or cornerback or something like that, then, yeah, sure, go ahead. But running back, it's like, uh, okay, no. <laughs> yeah, some of, the, some of those positions, they get hit pretty hard. So it's, it's, it's a yes and a no. It's a tough yes, for sure. That was CITR Sports' Spencer Latu who spoke just yesterday with UBC football receiver Keenan Godden to discuss concussions in U-sports football and what we can all do to make the exciting popular sport a bit safer for its players. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. We will take a short break for ads and PSAs and be right back. Cocaine took my dreams. My dreams. It made me lie, lie, steal. Cocaine took my will, my soul. And all I wanted was more cocaine, more cocaine. Cocaine Anonymous gave me freedom and saved my life. If you got a problem with cocaine, pick up the phone. We're here to help. Contact Cocaine Anonymous toll free by calling 866 662 8300 or find them online at ca-bc.ca. Have you ever thought about going abroad to study, work, intern, or learn a language? Mark Sunday, October 21st in your calendar and get down to the Vancouver Convention Center East Building to find out how. All the experts under one roof. 
top universities, gap year specialists, and student travel organizations. Feature seminar on scholarships starts at noon and expo opens at 1 p.m. Admission is free. Check online at studyandgoabroad.com for more info. So women's hockey got started this week as the Thunderbirds hosted the Lethbridge Pronghorns. Saturday's home opener saw a strong offensive effort from the Thunderbirds, but an unbelievable performance in that from Pronghorns goalie Alicia Anderson, who kept the birds off the score sheet as they dropped their first game of the season to nothing. And it wasn't really so much that the Thunderbirds couldn't generate offense, which we saw a lot of last year. They actually put up 41 shots on net. It was really just Anderson doing a fantastic job in that and blocking some rather good shots. Yeah, and all that came from six power plays from UBC. They couldn't convert on any of them. And on the flip side, the Pronghorns, both their goals were from power plays, so special teams really were the difference in that one. Definitely. Uh, Sunday, bit of a different game. Thunderbirds again, big offensive output, and this time they were able to find the twine. The Pronghorns did open the scoring, but uh, halfway through the first period, Hannah Clayton Carroll stole the puck at the blue line, moved into the slot, and what a shot. It's an unbelievable bar-down snipe. From from Hannah Clayton Carroll over top of the Jessica Lewis, the vet Hannah Clayton Carroll, like if th- that video is on the UBC Twitter, it's such a wicked shot. Austin Matthews, like with, with the wrist <laughs> Hannah Clayton Carroll, not quite able to hit him with the four, but Shaylee McConnell forced another turnover, skated down the right wing, and fired a sharp angle shot with almost no room, but she got it to go and gave the Thunderbridge their first lead of the season. With six minutes left in the game, Clayton Carroll added an insurance marker, and the Thunderbirds got their first win of the year. So Clayton Carroll, clearly a bit of a star in this one. And on top of that, overall as a team, great job forcing turnovers and capitalizing on those opportunities from turnovers. It was really that, you know, that ability to capitalize that allowed them to score twice on Sunday. Yeah, and they've been really great at controlling the shot counts for both teams. They held the Pronghorns to just 26 shots on Saturday and 22 on Sunday and got off 35-plus in both of their games on the weekend. Yeah, and they're actually they're at a low shooting percentage right now. They're shooting at 4%. Usually team average trends towards an 8 to 10%, um, which indicates that they're actually going to get even better. If you're shooting at a low shooting percentage, that means that you're unlucky and that usually starts to change. This is our sabermetrician, Eric oh, Thompson. Oh, yeah, shooting percentage, the most advanced step. <laughs> I'll get you some PDO next time. The Thunderbirds women's team are going to travel to Calgary next week to take on Mount Royal, and the men's team are going to host the Cougars at home. Yeah, and now we move on to some women's field hockey teams. And the usual, like, the usually winning women's field hockey game actually have suffered their first loss of the season. On Saturday, the Thunderbirds traveled down to Victoria to compete with their rival Victoria Vikes in a Legend Cup matchup and earn a 2.1 victory. However, their unbeaten streak was cut off like right on the following day by the Vikes as the T-Birds fell 1-0 after a long match on Sunday. And this was the first time since 2015 that the Vikes actually beat the Thunderbirds yeah. in a field hockey match. <laughs> Our usually fantastic team. And, and God, it had to come in the Legends Cup. It just feels so... Uh, Wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It was Victoria's fifth-year forward, Delaney Booker, who gave them that 1-0 lead in the 40th minute. The Thunderbirds did suffer from a lot of penalties in the second half, and that really halted any momentum from shifting in their favor. True, and the loss has actually put UBC's chance for an eighth straight national title in jeopardy, as Victoria is now in the pole position to qualify for the best-of-three national championship series. And the Vex will play Calgary twice this weekend. And if they win both, they will qualify for the championship. And if Calgary manages to win one, then the Thunderbirds will have to beat the Dinos twice in October 20th and 21st. And 
I'm hoping that we can maybe get some of the fantastic teammates of this field hockey team up on the show. Mm -hmm. No promises, but we like trying new things here. You got something in the works? A little bit. Oh, cool. All right. Can't can't disclose too much information <laughs> at this point in time. Yeah, and on a side note from the men's side, four teamers from the men's field hockey team were recently selected to represent Canada in the Youth Olympic Games in Australia from October 7th to 14th. And this including Roland Childs, Burden um, Guraliuk, Arjun Hothi, and Ethan McTavish. Um, they will be playing in the Hockey 5S, which is the smaller 5 side version of field hockey. Yeah, Hockey's 5s, kind of similar to Rugby 7s, where you compress team play, and it makes for a really fast-paced game. Moving on to soccer, yes. both of the teams <laughs> had perfect weekends, taking down Victoria in all three matches. Man, this, the soccer's just unbelievable. <laughs> both of them killing it. The women's team only played one game, but they made it count, beating Victoria 6-1. to one. Amelia Crawford opened the scoring less than two minutes in, and after the Vikes tied it late in the first half, the Thunderbirds piled on the scoring, with Michelle Jang scoring twice, and Danielle Steer, Melissa Bustos, and Sophie Damien each finding the net as well. I'm loving being a UBC soccer fan right now. This is great. We had we saw Daniel Steer with three assists in a return after being away for mm -hmm. a couple games. And now she's actually tied for second in Canada West with eight assists. And on top of that, Steer was actually awarded the Canada West third star of the week. Side note, her and Jang are both also tied now for second in conference goals. Steer really doing mm -hmm. everything for this UBC Thunderbird team. She's been the MVP of the team so far, of course, Jang providing a great strike force partner so far and the thunderbirds in their last seven games are outscoring their opponents 23 to 2 <laughs> what I'm, I'm sorry what? that's a little that's a little so, intense they're they're good they're real yeah. good those and are some baseball numbers <laughs> some baseball numbers. some red Sox versus oh, yankees okay sorry had okay. to do it had to do it <laughs> all right well i got my austin matthews and you can have your red Sox. <laughs> Yeah, quite a <laughs> dominant last few weeks uh, for the women's team. And this weekend, they traveled to the Prairies to take on Saskatchewan and Regina before coming back home to face Trinity Western on October 19th, who are still ahead of UBC in the standings. They're 9-1, and one, ranked second in the country. UBC ranked sixth. That's going to be the a clash crazy of the game. Titans. <laughs> really a clash of the Titans, two of the very best teams in the whole country. And the men's side, they are the best team. In the whole country, ranked number one in new sports after they beat Victoria twice this past weekend. They won the first game five to nothing at home before pulling out a much tighter three to two victory on the island. Christian Lee Heitnen has continued his scoring streak with three goals in the two games, while Sean Arneson, Ryland Sangha, Nick Fussell, Connor Guillerme, and Caleb Clark all scored as well. In that first game, the Thunderbirds outshot the Vikes 21-3. to And I know that shooting doesn't necessarily mean complete game dominance. But it's 21-3. to I think And a can lot of them were on that, right? Yeah, and then exactly. that second game, although it was closer, it was clear that UBC had the upper hand against Victoria. Mm -hmm. Lee Heitman, what an incredible run of form he's been on. Not only did he get his four goals in one game a couple weeks ago, hall. which got him uh, second star of the week in Canada West, he got... First star of the week in Canada West this week with his uh, great performance in the two games. And as I mentioned uh, just a minute ago, Thunderbirds have pushed, pack, pushed past Cape Breton and York University and are now the number one ranked team in all of U sports, still undefeated. So my question is, if he had the second star for Canada West two weeks ago and he got the first star this past week, does that mean he gets like the half star in the following week? <laughs> <laughs> What's get, better? Mike, uh, U Sports Athlete of the Week. Oh. That's true. 
There you go. There you go, Christian. That's, that's, Listen your, that's your new goal. <laughs> go score five. Go score against, five. Soccer uh, soccer is playing very well, and thankfully so is basketball. Mm-hmm. Back in session here, the UBC basketball teams went undefeated this past week as both men's and women's racked up wins on their home court. The men's team continued their impressive preseason. They defeated Laval and Windsor last Friday and Saturday at the UBC Invitational. Thunderbirds fell behind early against Laval as they actually trailed by three at the end of the first quarter. But their defense set the tone, and they held Laval to just nine total points in the second quarter, ended up with a 86-73 final win and, on that day. And it was Grant Shepard, the second-year forward. He's got a lot of expectations on him this year. In order, like Really, he has to be a leader on this team, and he was in this game. Put up 29 points and 12 rebounds on 13 of 17 shooting, while the newly transferred Jaden Cohey... He had 25 points and 8 rebounds, and he'll be a big part of the reinforcements after the departures of some of their key players last right. year. Right, that, that's what I was going to say. I mean, last year we had the opportunity to sit down with him, and we, we did bring up, you know, Morgan's going away. He's gone. Mm-hmm. So is Zaharievich. So is Jalalpur. Where does this leave you? And clearly, he's taking to the role quite nicely so far. Yeah, it looks like a good pickup for uh, Kohi as well, though. Um, 22 points in the next game uh, against Windsor. Where they won ninety one seventy eight, huge third quarter, thirty eight to fourteen, and Grant Audu with a double double, sixteen points, ten rebounds. The Thunderbirds will continue uh, their strong start. Hope to continue their strong start. That is, as they, they travel will. to. They will continue <laughs> definitively their start. speak it into existence. <laughs> it worked with football. It did. It worked with football. I think we're a bit psychic. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we called the uh, ineligible player of the Regina Rams. I think we actually have a bit of gift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how much credit you can take for that. I don't think we directly <laughs> Well, no, it was it. you, Jake. You were the one who actually verbalized it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I brought it up. I didn't I didn't call it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take half credit. Fair enough. But they will travel to Waterloo, Naismith Tournament in, Ot- in Ontario. Then they will play where they will play the Wilfred Laurier, where they will play, rather, Wilfred Laurier, excuse me, Ottawa, and then Waterloo on Saturday for the three-day tournament. On the women's side of things... The team had, has finally left their early preseason losses behind as they now sit on a nice three-game win streak after a 74-57 win against Fraser Valley. And the team's defense was really able to put a clamp, a clamp on the overmatched Cascades offense. They were able to jump out to a quick 17-3 lead, and they never let it go. Yeah, the Thunderbirds only shot 35% from the field, uh, and Madison Legault only had 12 points, but 24 offensive rebounds. Huge night. Dominating. And something they never did last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Women's basketball struggled on offensive rebounds, so this was yeah. really good to see from them. And a lot of turnovers as well from the Cascades, 29 of those. Um, so good good, uh, good defense and offense there. And I think loose balls. potentially a bit of a lack of competition, mm-hmm. to, to be frank. Um, but we'll see how they can translate it towards other teams. Big takeaway from that game, someone other than Penn and Filowich led the team in scoring. So <laughs> that, right. that's, you, a, that's you get, hopefully you get a someone else in the, in the mix. And we mm-hmm. saw Lego. She actually got – she would sometimes be a starter and sometimes she yeah. wouldn't, so it's nice to see her in more of a consistent yeah. role. She started more often near the end of the year last year, which is her first year, and she seems like she'll be a regular starter this year. The women's team is back in action this weekend on Saturday against Lewis and Clark at War Memorial Gym here at UBC. In baseball news, the Thunderbirds traveled down to Spokane, Washington and lost a tightly contested 1-0 pitcher's duel. It's actually not that bad, though, because they played the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who are an elite baseball program from the States. And this box score proves that our team at least can 
defensively compete with other high caliber offenses. Yeah. Now their next game is against the Oregon State Beavers in nice. Oregon. <laughs> and this might sound like an ordinary game, but it's not because those Beavers are the reigning college World Series champions and really the they're ranked number two, but really, really they're the elite program number in the one world in the entire world for college they, baseball. Yeah. Just so <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we did well against Gonzaga. Gonzaga did well against UCLA, and UCLA competes and with. We have we have a good program here. We right. produced Jeff Francis. We've, we produced Mitch Robinson, who has been drafted. Go go Yankees! Did I just did, say that? You just said that. Did I just say that? We just got Jacob Air to say go Yankees wow. on the radio. I think I'm going to retract that statement. In, I'm gonna I'm gonna download this and make it my text tone. And I don't even like the Yankees. <laughs> Yeah. My, that was a Mitch Robinson shout out to any of you. <laughs> I have to clarify. I'm actually a huge Red Sox fan. We all know this. But Mitch Robinson got drafted <laughs> to the Yankees. Yeah. Might need He's to see if they can bring him back. He got drafted to the Yankees. <laughs> it's a uh, sad day. But regardless, this game for the Thunderbirds will be a test to see where they can match up against the best of the best. In women's golf, they took part their part in the UBC, uh, or rather the UBC team took part in the Western Washington Invitational this past Monday and Tuesday. Cecil Kwan tied for third to lead the Thunderbirds women's golf team to a fourth-place finish overall, and UBC concluded the two-round event with a total score of 41 over par. Next on the ledger for that team will be the Victoria Vikes shootout at the Cordova Bay Golf Course in the provincial capital this coming Monday and Tuesday. And I think that's all we have for this week. There's a lot of sports coming. we got to look coming. ahead, though, There's because we got coming. tons. Tonight, here, volleyball, men's, Mount Royal. Fantastic. Tomorrow, men's basketball against Wilfred Laurier. <laughs> Not Laurier. Laurier, Laurier. I can't speak French. We That's all know okay. this. That's okay. It's fine. And uh, men's volleyball against Montreal. We've got, uh, on Friday, we've got a lot. We've got uh, women's volleyball against Guelph, men's basketball against Ottawa, women's rugby against Alberta, football against Saskatchewan, big game, blackout game, come out, third jerseys. <laughs> women's ice hockey visiting Mount Royal, men's soccer at uh, UFV. Men's ice hockey hosting Mount Royal. That's uh, going to be here. If you're in the hockey, come on out. Uh, women's volleyball uh, hosting Queens, and men's volleyball visiting Trinity Western. We got a lot more of those same games. The home halves. There's a ton of sports this weekend. It's That's really hard fun. to recap, but basically, <laughs> this is that transitional period where you'll get the fall sports now coming into light with the kind of like pre preschool year sports that are just finishing up, where you'll have a bit of a mix of everything. So if you want to get the full schedule, go on to UBC Athletics for that. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the interview that Spencer had with Keenan Godden. That was great. We really appreciated his contribution. Thank And thank you guys for tuning in to CITR 101.9's Thunderbird Eye. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at CITR Sports. Next up on the airwaves is the Arts Report. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jacob Ayer, Eric Thompson, Jake McRail, Liz Wang, and Spencer Latu. Listen Wednesdays from 4.30 to 5 p.m. and have a wonderful evening.